Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Thank you for joining us this morning. We are in our Advent series, and um, this morning we are talking about joy. And talking about joy, we have someone that is experiencing huge amounts of joy this morning. Amanda and Kip, won't you stand up? Yeah. Amanda and Kip got engaged, so congratulations. Just so you know, you have to stay here now, Kip. That's, that's how this works, you know. Um, so guys, make sure we press that point afterwards with him. Okay. Um, I haven't been on a prayer walk with Bono since everyone started putting up their Christmas lights. And Bono has this, uh, Bono is my dog. Um, his, his, I know, <laughs> let, me, let me explain that. <laughs> me and Bono, we're on a first name basis, we go prayer walking, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and so he, uh, he, he has these spots where he likes to relieve himself um, throughout the neighborhood, and one of these spots that he was about to go to actually has this massive sign that says joy, and I'm like, I'm sure most of us feel that way sometimes here where we want to experience joy, but someone is defecating on our joy, you know? Anyway, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about what would it be like if we actually put out front the things that we really wanted in life? What would our neighborhood look like if we were really honest about what we spend our time pursuing, right? If we, if we were honest and we said, this is what's gonna make me happy. This is what's gonna make me happy. This is what I'm pursuing. This is what I'm giving my energy for. This is what is, what is happening out there. And, and, and the last one is, yeah. What, what, if, what, it would, what would it look like if we were really honest and put those slides, um, I mean, those, those marquees up there. We put up joy, we put up hope, we put up peace and love. And I don't want to be cynical, and some of you are saying too late. I don't want to be cynical, but I also want to acknowledge that, that there are just people in the neighborhood that went into their garage, and without any forethought, there was just this knee-jerk reaction that it's the week after uh, Thanksgiving, and so we're just going to put these decorations out. But as Christ followers, we have an amazing opportunity to agree with what people say it is that they want. Even if deep down we know that they are pursuing something different, even deep down, if we were to be honest, that there's a sense in which we think that this, the other um, power, money, sex, recognition, a job, whatever it is, is actually what we are pursuing. We have an opportunity to agree with what people say they want and point them to the true source of peace, hope, joy, and love during this time. As I said last week, the Christmas longing for the Christmas miracle is a God-given, image-bearing desire to experience the kingdom of God in all its fullness. And we don't want to experience it by these tra transient trivialities or, we, uh, or sentimentalities. We want the true tangible reality of Christmas every year. We want a deeper peace, we want a persistent joy, and a stronger hope. And so this morning, we're talking about joy. Someone said to me the other day, are you happy? 
That's a complicated question. I didn't think it was that complicated. In fact, when you're not happy, it's actually an easier question to answer. When things are not going well, you can say, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm sick, I lost my job, this, that, the other thing. But, but I was sitting there thinking, it's, it's actually hard to answer. And for a lot of us, I'm, I'm grateful, uh, I'm thankful for what I have, I'm, I'm satisfied, I, I don't have any needs. Um, and as a Gen Xer, even the question, are you happy? I'm like, what does that matter? You, you know what I mean? There's, there's a sense in which my, my life has been shaped around the idea that that really is an important, isn't an important thing. Am I happy or am I joyful? Is there a difference? What does that mean? Um, and I think there is a difference. I think there's a difference between being happy and being joyful because I, I feel like the things that bring us happiness can lead us to joy, but the problem is they can also trap us in a cheap version of happiness that is just kind of a sliver of what God intended for us. As we look at the Bible, it's so interesting. When we look at the Bible, the Bible says that these are certain things that bring us joy. Literally, the, the word in the Old and the New Testament that they're using there is joy, not, not happiness. Nature. I mean, think about it, a sunset, a beach, a snowy mountain. The Bible says that friendships bring us joy. Partnership in the gospel, an abundant harvest. The Bible says wine brings us joy. Perfume brings us joy. Sex in marriage brings us joy. Children brings us joy. But because we're all so different, there are different experiences that trigger different responses in each individual. As something that will make one person happy or joyful is not the same thing. Um, we also like to stack pleasures. Have you guys heard that term? You want to stack your pleasures? And so one of the things that we do is we don't just want a nice meal. We want a nice meal and we want to pair it with a nice wine or a nice bottle of scotch or something like that. Or a Fanta, you know. Um, so we don't just want a nice meal. Uh, we want... We want a nice drink with a meal. We also want to stack that pleasure and we want to stack it with a good friend, with our wife, with our children, because that enhances it. We stack the pleasure. And we don't just want to have it in any place. We want to have it in a beautiful place with a view. And so, and so we're used to kind of stacking these pleasures and pursuing these things. But we, because we're so different, different things make different people happy. Like, I can't cook a steak the way that I want to cook a steak, the way that a steak should be cooked which is medium rare, yeah. right? So, because my wife likes it, well done. And so, yeah, right, exactly, ew, right? And so even though we agree that this makes us happy, how we experience that is, is also different. And when we think about vacation, vacation makes us happy. We're on vacation, I wake up early, I go for a three-mile walk, I do my push-ups, I'm ready, and Karen's like, do not. Do not wake me up. I am not interested. I want to play games. I want to have competition. I want to fall in bed at night tired. That's, that's my dream. And Karen's like, no, that does not make me happy. That does not bring me joy. These circumstances, events, and places, products, they are not evil. Um, and in, in, in and of themselves, they are gifts from God. But they can become idols. And an idol is something that we make ultimate 
that we place our hope in, that we sacrifice for because we believe that it will bring us joy. So is there a difference between abiding joy and moments of happiness? Mike Mason says that happiness without joy is a masquerade, and joy without happiness is a spiritualized lie. And I think joy is different from happiness in this. I think joy is different in its intensity. Deep abiding joy is maybe not as intense as that moment of happiness, but it's more steady, more robust, and it lasts longer. I think joy is different in its purpose. Because the Bible tells us that joy enables us to endure hardships and trials. And oftentimes happiness can become a temporary reprieve or a solve, like a, a healing balm, or even a distraction from, from trial or suffering. It's also different in its complexity, and this is probably the biggest difference between joy and happiness, is that joy can share space with other emotions. Is that happiness is one-dimensional. It's like you, you, you can't be sad and happy. You can't be anxious and happy. You can't be frustrated and happy. But there can be a deep undercurrent of joy at the same time as you're experiencing these negative emotions. Happiness is one-dimensional, but joy has the space to share with other emotions. Happiness is something that we pursue, but joy is something that we choose. Now, I want you to, to think back to the time that we're kind of focusing our minds and hearts, the, the Christmas story. And, and, and to think about it in a different way, I want you to imagine the range of emotions and to, to sit there and think, I've heard the story many, many, many times. I've told the story to my kids. Some of you have even preached on the story. But I want you to think of, imagine the range of emotions that these people are feeling as I read from the text. Matthew 18, verse 1 to 8, uh, 8, Matthew 1, verse 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph, before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Let's think about that. This young girl, she's betrothed, she's now pregnant. What are people going to say? How are they going to view her? What is happening? We don't necessarily think about Joseph, but then it says Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man because he didn't want to humiliate her he decided to call off the engagement quietly. And Joseph was well within his rights to stone Mary. In those times, you became pregnant because you had had intercourse with someone else. That's what made you pregnant. And so she had not kept her promise. She had been involved in adultery. And he was well within his rights to do that. And so here he is. There's this anxiety. What am I going to do? He has a dream, and as he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. Now, all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just as the angel from God commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he didn't have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and Joseph called him Jesus. 
And we know from last week that at that time, uh, they were compelled to go to Bethlehem because there was a census going on. And so Mary gives birth in Bethlehem. In the meantime, there are some magi um, from the east that are following a star and they come to Bethlehem and we pick up in Matthew 2, verse 9 to 12. When they heard the king, they'd sat down with Herod and Herod had gathered all the priests and the scribes and does anyone know anything about Bethlehem? And they went and they looked and the star had been seen in the east. They went ahead and it stood over the place where the child was, which was Bethlehem. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, falling to their knees. They honored him. And they opened their treasure chests and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. And what we know, though, is that now the ante is being raised. Because now that the wise men didn't go back to Herod and didn't tell him where the king was, Herod flies into a rage and begins to kill all the children that are under the age of two. Echoes of Exodus in this, when Moses was born. Begins to kill all those children. So what are we going to do? Joseph has another dream, and the angel tells him to take the child and his mother to Egypt. And can you imagine as a Jewish person, I mean, think about this. As a Jewish person, your whole identity as a nation is centered around the fact that God did what? Rescued you out of Egypt. And now the angel is saying, go back to Egypt for safety. Okay, I'm going to do this. this. This was not a day trip, guys. This was a pregnant woman on the way to Egypt. Herod realizes he's betrayed. All the male children die, and they stay in Egypt until Herod dies. But then they go back to Bethlehem and realize that actually it's one of Herod's sons that is in control and they're not sure where to land so they decide to land in Nazareth. And all of these things neatly fit all of the prophetic statements that are made in the Old Testament about, about Jesus. We don't, we don't have time to initially go into that but I, I want you to sit there and think, is this how Joseph pictured his life? When he said, like Kip did to Amanda, will you be my wife? Everything will be smooth sailing. What? An angel? You're pregnant? God made you pregnant? He's going to be the savior of the world? What? We've got to go to Egypt? We've got to wait here because he's killing babies? Now we can't go back to our home? We've got to go back? I mean, imagine what is, what is stirring in their minds. And I just thought about this, this joy that God gives us that expects difficulty. This joy that God gives us that is persistent and purposeful. I mean, I, I think of the fear and the embarrassment, the uncertainty, the, the lack of provision that they must have experienced. I think of when the angel visited Mary and Mary said, with all my heart, I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God my Savior. That's when the angel visited her. That's before everything went to pot, right? That's when the angel visited her. Then afterwards, when Jesus is being circumcised, Simeon has this prophetic word, and he says to Mary, this boy is assigned to be the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that generates opposition, 
so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your inmost being too. Huh, that's nice. Wow. There was something deep that was resident within her and within Joseph that was able to deal with all of the complexity, the difficulty, the fear, the anxiety, the lack of provision. We're going to Bethlehem, we can't find anything. But, but in the midst of this, there's a consistent sense of this will be a marker. Joy to the world and peace and goodwill to men that he will save people from their sins. It is precisely because joy can share space with other emotions that it's such a powerful weapon. Not only in Joseph and Mary's life, but we see this throughout <coughs> we see this throughout the early church. In the midst of persecution, they were full of joy. They were beaten, they were put in prison, and they left singing songs of joy because they were worthy to suffer persecution for the sake of Jesus. And they wanted others to experience that same joy. It is the joy that is in, of, and emanating from the Lord that is our strength. It is not our ability to be joyful that gives us strength. It is the joy that comes from Him that enables us in the midst of these difficult circumstances to have this deposit of joy. That even though those fleeting emotions whirl around us, that joy is like the rock that moves us, uh, that keeps us steady. Now, I don't want you to think that we ignore or suppress or deny any kind of pain. We don't do that. We don't have to because Scripture models that we acknowledge pain. We can acknowledge our desire to be free from it. But at the same time, we can have a joyful heart because there's a sense that we have an eternal hope. We see this modeled in the life of David. We see this modeled even in the life of Jesus. We see it modeled in the life of the early church and in the life of, of Paul. And Paul, when he's writing to the Philippians in what is called the epistle of joy, he says even he's in prison not knowing that he may live or die, probably die, but he says even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Nowhere does Paul say that he's glad that um, he's experiencing this pain. He's saying that he is glad and he's rejoicing that he's experiencing something that will be ultimately for people's joy because they will come to faith in Jesus. The early writers understood that this is not our home. We are pilgrims and aliens. And as such, we will feel displaced, misunderstood, and unwanted. And Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and he says, we don't focus on the things that can be seen, but on the things that can't be seen. The things that can be seen don't last, but the things that can't be seen, these are eternal. And it's hard for us to be able to actually say, in the midst of this difficulty and this trial, I want to focus on the fact that I am storing for myself treasures in heaven. That there is a joy that I can experience in now knowing that no trial or persecution or testing is wasted, but there is a joy that I will experience in its fullness when I see him face, face to face. This world is not all that there is. Jesus himself, his own words. Jesus says, happy are you when people hate you, reject you, and insult you, and condemn your name as evil, not because you're a bad person, but because of me. 
because of the choices you've made to be a follower of Jesus. Rejoice when this happens. Leap for joy because you have a great reward in heaven. It's in the expressing of our grief while we hold an expectation of the kingdom that models a countercultural joy. Because we can hold these two things in tension. I can say to the person who asked me, I don't know that I'm happy right now, but I am full of joy. And that doesn't make sense to us. Even in our minds, like grammatically, that, that makes no sense to us. But it is a biblical reality. It's a reality that, that our forefathers faced. It's a reality that people all around the world generally face even right now. Happiness is pursued. Joy is chosen. But Nick, can you really choose joy? It sounds like a platitude. It doesn't just sound like a platitude. It, it, it sounds like unintelligent. It even sounds harmful. Because there's people that are... Car and I were talking about this the other day. There are three out of tens and nine out of tens in terms of like how generally happy you are. And, and for a three to get to a five, man, that's as good as it gets. You know what I mean? That's as expressive and as joyful as I get. Um, often, I said to Karin, it's a little unfair when you're considered a happy person. Because when you're just in a kind of general mood, everyone is just assuming you're mad or angry. Because most of the time you're up here. So when you join the rest of the world in kind of a muted reality, then everyone is just assuming something is wrong. And, and it's not. And we're all at different spaces when it comes to the external expression of joy. And so I don't want you to hear this thing of like, choose joy. And you're like, oh, Nick, it's not that I know it's not that simple. But I want you to read, I want you to listen to something that Paul is writing again to the Philippian church. And he says, I urge, plead, and implore you, Odia, and I entreat sympathy to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose name are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, that's probably on a coffee mug somewhere. That's probably like on a little book of promises that rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I want you to understand the context. Paul is writing in the context of a relational rift in a church between two women that is affecting the entire church. And within that, his solution is to insist on rejoicing, to be grateful, to, to shift your posture, and to be able to understand that even though I can be in a difficult emotional situation, I can choose the joy that Jesus offers me. This is difficult, but there's a deep and abiding truth here. It is the empowering and counter-cultural impossibility of the God of the universe that lives in you through the Holy Spirit that enables you to experience joy in a time of difficulty, pain, trial, and suffering. We can choose joy. Why? Because Jesus first chose us. And so in a sense, we're not choosing the emotion of joy, but in a sense, we're, we're saying, yes, Jesus, because you chose me and I am your beloved, I'm rescued, I'm loved, I'm treasured, and I'm given a purpose beyond this earth, I will choose to live in that joy. So we understand that joy expects difficulties, 
We also now begin to see that persistent joy is a joy that is purposeful. Excuse me. (coughs) The older you get, the more joy you begin to experience in the giving of gifts. Um, We were talking about in our life group, what is one of the greatest gifts that you have received? And um, most of you will know that I'm a dog liker, not a dog lover. Um, I like dogs. I don't love them. They aren't human. You know what I mean? They are dogs. And, um, and so my family is a family of dog lovers. They, they love one And so for Christmas five years ago, whatever, four years ago, um, I bought a little dog cage, um, and I put a picture of Bono in the dog cage, because he wasn't old enough to be with us yet. Um, And that was their Christmas present. And I remember it vividly because of the joy that it brought them. I also remember it vividly because in the back of my mind, I was thinking, this is not going to bring me joy. The actual kind of entrance of an animal into our home. But, But to see them, there was this sense of like, wow, that is, it's such a gift. When you give someone a gift, that is thoughtful, where they understand that they are seen, where, where there's a sense in which, man, you, you understand me, you saw me, you sacrificed for me. There's, there's a deep joy in that. It's, it's purposeful. And, and we don't often connect Christmas with a time of mission. But it is the most missional event ever to occur in history. It's the most missional event because Jesus left his home, became like us, Not to make us feel okay with ourselves, but to rescue us from our sins so that we could have relationship with the Father. He came to us. Christmas is a time where we can be invitational, where we can be intentional about helping people understand what true peace, love, hope, and joy is really about. Jesus himself says, in the same way I tell you, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life. And joy is a natural byproduct of discipleship and mission. I want to say that again. Joy is a natural byproduct of your engagement in discipleship and mission. Let me show you why. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 17 says, Brothers and sisters, Paul is writing to a church um, that responded to the gospel very quickly and very intensely. And he says to them, we are separated from you for a while physically, but not in our hearts. We made every effort in our desire to see you again face to face. We wanted to come to you. I, Paul, tried over and over again, and Satan stopped us. And he says to them, he's saying to this church that he helped plant, that he's now separate from. And they're saying, Paul, you said you were going to come back and visit us. What is going on? And he says to them, what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown? What can we brag about In front of our Lord Jesus when he comes, isn't it all of you? You are our glory and joy. When our lives are focused around discipleship and mission, joy becomes just a very natural byproduct of that. We're having a conversation the other day, and Karen was saying, like, my my." I experience more joy, saying to me, Nick, I experience more joy when you are consistent rather than when you make a grand gesture. 
the perfect restaurant, the perfect moment, the perfect time away, the perfect gift. So I experience more joy when you are consistent. And I wish I'd learned that earlier as a parent. I wish I'd learned earlier as a parent that most children um, are shaped by our consistency more than they are shaped by grand gestures. I'm not saying we don't do grand gestures. I'm just saying there's, the, there's this thing of like, oh, I really love this person. I want to do something dramatic. Or I really love this person. I think I'm going to be consistent in my mood, be consistent in my attitude, be consistent in the way that I respond. And so the thing that, that brings me joy, even as a, as a church leader, is, is that I know that you have brought me joy because of the way in which you have walked a long obedience in the same direction. It hasn't necessarily been super dramatic, but when I look at many of you, and I see many of you, and some of you have, have been in the faith longer than I've been alive, and that says something, right? But some of you haven't. But the consistency of actually saying, regardless what you're facing, you are standing firm. Regardless of your situation, you are still a disciple of Jesus. You are still exercising feeble faith. When you stand firm, it fuels my joy. Literally, you can fuel someone else's joy by just being consistent in your faith. Yes, you can fuel their joy by doing other things, by praying for them, by joining them on mission, by being generous, by doing all those things. But don't underestimate the joy that you can bring someone by being consistent in your faith. Because when we look at you and we say, man, my life is not nearly as difficult as that person's life. And there is a sense of solidity, a sense of joy. It actually, it elevates my experience. Ultimately, we know that joy has a singular source. Romans 15 tells us, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And this is where hope, peace, joy, and love become interrelated. Because as I said last week, when we pursue peace, next week when we talk about abounding in hope, the natural outcome of that is that we experience joy. We choose joy. Joy is a fruit of being united with Jesus, empowered by the Spirit. That's what Paul tells us in Galatians. It's a fruit, it's something that naturally occurs in us if we are in union with Christ. Joy is affected by our circumstances. We can't assume that it isn't, we can't be blind to that reality. But because it is affected by our circumstances, we need to understand that true joy is not dependent on our circumstances. And I think for too long within the Christian church, we've tried, we've tried to be on one side or the other. My joy is not dependent on my circumstances. Um, or the sense of um, that, that my joy is completely dependent on... No, it, your circumstances do affect your ability to engage. But true and deep joy is not dependent on those circumstances. Our joy is not just based on current circumstances, but on the certainty that God is in control. And even in the situation where it doesn't look like what he promised, and especially with Mary and Joseph, this does not look like anything that you promised. My faith and my source of joy is not in the outcome, but in his character. You know the, the bad joke, why was it a silent night? 
because Joseph didn't make reservations. So Mary wasn't talking. Okay, it's a bad joke. You know, we sit there. These, these are real people. These aren't, these aren't, this isn't a myth or legend. This is, this is the reality of the forefathers of our faith actually saying, trust me, nothing is going to look like what you think it's going to look like. Why can I trust you, God? Because I am who I say I am. I don't trust God because he said to me, this is going to work out in exactly the way in which you think it's going to work out. I can trust God because he's good, because he's powerful, because he's kind, because he's sovereign. Because everything works together for the good, for those that are called according to his name and purpose. Not everything is good. I can trust his character. We aren't ultimately choosing joy. We're choosing him. We're choosing him because he chose us. It's a responsive act of faith initiated by him. So let's fix our eyes on the source of our joy. Jesus, when he's speaking to his disciples, he uses this example of a woman in birth in John 16. He says, when a woman gives birth, she has pain because her time has come. But when the child is born, she no longer remembers her distress because of her joy that the child has been born into this world. In the same way, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. He's talking to the disciples. And you will be overjoyed. No one takes away your joy. Karen was telling me that when she's in a labor and delivery room as a doula, and things are getting really intense with a woman in labor, either her husband or the doula will say, look at me. And she fixes her eyes on her partner and she knows, and her partner speaks words of encouragement and words of hope. Doesn't say, I'm sure this doesn't hurt. It doesn't say, just suck it up. It says, breathe, do whatever you're supposed to do. Breathe in, breathe out, I guess is the thing to do. But, yeah, don't call me, okay. <laughs> suck it up, just come on. Faster is better, you know. But I said to Karen, why, why do you get her to look at you? Why can't you, just, why can't you just say, okay, do this, do that? She says, you've got to get her attention. And when you get her attention, then the other things begin to fade away. They're not, not present. She's still in pain, the most tremendous pain any human being will experience. But there's a sense in which she finally understands that this pain is for a goal. There is something that is going to be achieved through this difficulty. What is being birthed in you right now? It's in the, in the time of celebrating an Advent and Christmas where, where it says the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. And there's a sense in which God has placed his seed in every single one of us. Something is being birthed in you. And that's something that pain, that difficulty of that something that God is birthing in you is going to be better, not because the pain is not going to be present, but because you fix your eyes on him. And the writer of Hebrews says that we look to Jesus or fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand 
of the throne of God. And I said, then I'm thinking, for what joy? And when it, when it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What is Jesus' joy? We are his joy. Does that not blow your mind? That in that moment, as he was suffering on that cross, the God of the universe, the only being that has the capacity to have each and every one of us in his mind at that moment, this is happening to fulfill my joy, to be with my people. That is his joy. That should blow our minds. The barrier of relationship was shattered. The penalty is paid. Intimacy is restored. We are united with him. United in a way that we are unashamed, that we are free, that we have joyful access to God because our sins are forgiven. The new Israel is born. The church of the living God is created. The mission of God instituted to restore all things to himself. What a joy. And yet he says, it's my joy. In the Old Testament, it says that he rejoices over us with singing. There is a sense in which when you realize that you bring, you bring the God of the universe joy because you have stepped into that invitation of relationship with him, that should blow our minds. I am Jesus' joy. Then I am able to choose Jesus, which means I choose joy. Now I know that this is difficult. Band, you can come up. I know that during this season, there's a lot of things that we can enjoy. There's the foods, there's the gifts, there's the parties. But even as we look to be generous, and even as we look to be inviting, and even as we said last week, to actually be able to slow down, and even in your times of devotion or intimacy with Jesus, to actually start, and even to say these words, I am your joy. As a Christ follower, you have every right to say that because you are his joy. It will shift the way you look at your day. It will shift the way you look at your life. It, it will shift the way that you see everything. That Jesus, you did this not for some legal transaction, but you did this so that you could welcome me into your joy. And I can experience this joy in the midst of, as Peter said, in the midst of a world that, that still has darkness, that still has difficulty, but one day... One day, we will see him face to face. And as Jesus said, our joy will be full. Our joy will be complete. He has authored and perfected a faith that brings us a joy that is different in its intensity, in its purpose and complexity. He's brought us a joy that is rooted in the present reality that we abide with Jesus, that his spirit lives in us, that we are united with him, that our sins are forgiven, and we have been adopted as children of God. He brings us a joy where, where we don't need to hide or pretend that life is difficult. He brings us a joy that is amplified every time we, we take a step forward towards the purpose that he's called us to, to be on mission. He brings a joy that is guaranteed because of his ability to be present with us in our difficulties. And not only that, our joy is not made full because Jesus is present in our difficulties, but he has the power to free us from some of those difficulties. He brings us a joy that points to a future reality when we'll see him face to face, when joy 
will never again be complex, will never again be elusive or temporary, where our joy will be full. Because on, on this earth, we can taste something of that joy, the, the hors d'oeuvre of joy. But as we celebrate the first coming of Jesus and long for the second coming of Jesus, we know that with joy, we will participate at the banqueting table because we will be welcomed as his bride. Until such a day, let's revel in the reality of that joy that we can taste when the earth receives her king and we see him face to face. Won't you stand with me? Hello. Um, I just had, I guess, just the sense to pray for anyone who's struggling going into the holidays. Um, it's like two weeks away, and I'm, I'm freaking out too. But um, just a little bit of context. As Nick was talking about joy, um, so many of you know, but my dad is bipolar, and he's currently on like his third hospitalization um, since July this year. So it's been a rough year. Um, and I think I used to look for the hope of the holidays as like this really joyous time, and it will be perfect. Everyone will get along, and that obviously never happens. Um, and so there's always like this like high expectation and letdown. Um, but this year I've kind of started to realize like my dad's hope isn't, I used to hope that he would have healing and that would be the ultimate like hope. And I think this year I've just realized like my dad's hope is not here and thankfully he believes in God and he's a believer, but his hope is in heaven and that's when his brain will be healed and, um, and he'll be able to experience like true peace. Um, and so I just have the desire to pray for anyone who's struggling with a similar idea, but I think the coolest thing throughout this journey is that there's been joy, um, there's been sadness, there's lots of sadness, but there's still joy because we have that hope too. So if I can pray for you, that would be awesome. Thank you, Grace. Yeah, if you feel like that resonates with you, please go to the side. There'll be trusted leaders to my left, your right, that are um, happy to pray with you. For the rest of us, let's respond in communion. There's a table in the back on the side over here and in front with wine, um, and we'll come back and take that together. As Grace reminded us, and as Nick reminded us, and Nick even reminded me, I'm me, Mitch. I'm not like an outwardly joyous person, um, but that's not what joy is. It's not something that, it's not smiling and laughing all the time. Joy is something that we get to experience because Jesus saved us from the death that we deserve and we get to spend eternity in peace with our Father. So I want us to take communion with, um, with that in mind. Um, so let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you sent your Son as a gift something that we didn't deserve, but something that we need in order to be at peace with you. So we thank you for Jesus' sacrificed body so that we could be brought into unity with you and his spilled, life, spilled blood so that we could be brought back to life and spend eternity with you. Let's take the bread. Again, I just pray, I thank you for Jesus' spilled blood um, and the fact that we get to live in life uh, and live eternally because of his sacrifice and his death. And we get to spend eternity at peace with our Father. Let's take the cup.
Thank you, Mercy Commons. Um, if you still need prayer, if you want to receive prayer, there will be people waiting to the side to pray for you. For the rest of us, we're dismissed. We can head out to the back, all the way to the back of the YMCA, where we'll enjoy each other's company and have coffee and donuts. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.